Good afternoon, everybody. Um, welcome. We're delighted that you're here. Thank you very much for coming. My name is John Hamry. I'm the president at CSIS, uh, and it's my great pleasure to uh, open the session and to introduce to you uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Governor Janet Napolitano. Um, how many of you remember, some of, not everybody here is old enough, but remember those ads where it was a couple of grizzled old cowboys talking about salsa and they said, New York City? Made in New York City? Well, I just learned today that Secretary Napolitano, governor of Arizona, was made in New York City. I mean, she is actually a New Yorker and, uh, and somehow found her way west to become an iconic figure in the west, uh, obviously one of the most successful governors uh, that Arizona's had. Uh, first woman governor of the National Governors Association, really set uh, a standard. And of course that was, uh, I think, considerably behind uh, President Obama's reasoning in wanting to bring her to Washington. Now it's not such an alien step for her. I, she went to law school at uh, UVA. And so she's used to the East Coast, but I, her heart, I think, is still out in Arizona. And uh, we only have her on borrowed time, but we're fortunate that we're able to have a person of her character and intellect who is uh, leading the department at this time. Uh, I would say that there's an unusual. We're bringing her to this forum today, and the India chair and the Homeland Security chair here at CSIS are hosting. But... Uh, we're bringing her here to really talk about an important new dimension that Secretary Napolitano is bringing to Homeland Security. If you think about it, it sounds like this is a very parochial, inward-turned organization. Homeland Security just sounds that way, doesn't it? But what, after all, is Homeland Security other than a multi-domestic security problem that we have to solve together? And I think it's Secretary Napolitano's wisdom that she, working with the president, led to the creation of what we think is a very important new initiative with India to develop this domestic security shared approach for homeland security for both of us. We both need it, and we need each other. And I think it's her wisdom that's led to this opening up. And so we're delighted that you'll share that with us today, Secretary. We, uh, we're very grateful that you would give us your time, and I should take no more of it, and we should turn to you. Thank you. Please welcome Secretary of Homeland Security, Janet McCullough. Well, thank you, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and to talk about uh, the trip that uh, I was just on uh, to India. And... Uh, before I, I get to uh, that uh, trip, uh, let me let me lay this or set the stage a, a little bit. And John uh, alluded to this: um, the Department of Homeland Security was created uh, in the wake of 9/11 uh, to help protect the United States from another successful attack. Um, but it also was created to deal with a whole a raft of different matters, and so it, it was a combination of 22 separate agencies brought together. Uh, and, we, and we deal with everything from, and we've, we've really listed out of five major areas, counterterrorism, um, border security, um, land, but also air and sea, uh, immigration and immigration enforcement, a very non-controversial area of the department, uh, cybersecurity. I was just at a meeting of, a very important meeting of the NSTAC, which is a, a, a private uh, partnership we have uh, with the federal government on telecommunication security. Uh, and then disaster preparation, response, and recovery. 
So right now, uh, we are uh, covering 28 uh, or disasters in uh, 28 different states uh, with the, the floods and the tornadoes uh, that have uh, struck us uh, this year. Um, so it's a very broad department in that respect. And, and one of the things we learned um, very early on uh, was that if we were truly going to protect the homeland, a lot of our work was international in nature and needed to be international in nature. Uh, and that uh, if we waited until things were actually in the United States, uh, we probably had waited too long. Uh, and so uh, even as uh, though my title is Homeland Security, I would venture to say I probably spend close to 40% of my time on international matters. Uh, and these involve a variety of things. They can involve uh, uh, negotiating uh, agreements with the EU on the exchange of passenger information. Uh, they can uh, involve uh, working with the World Customs Organization and the International Maritime Organization uh, and the International Civil Aviation Organization on uh, cargo security and how cargo is secured from the moment something enters the global supply chain until it reaches its end user. Uh, and it can involve uh, the exchange of information, uh, particularly related to uh, terrorism and terrorist groups uh, around the world uh, with, with our friends. And so uh, uh, when we think of homeland security, we, we really think of it in a very um, international sense. Uh, and to that extent, the name is somewhat a misnomer. Uh, and uh, I... I uh, want to set that stage for you because that sets the stage for why was the Secretary of Homeland Security spending a week in India? Uh, what was that about? Well, what it was about was um, an idea uh, that we had raised uh, and, uh, uh, through uh, to the President and that uh, he raised uh, with Prime Minister Singh during their discussions. Uh, which is to create an ongoing homeland security dialogue between the United States and India. Uh, we both uh, uh, have uh, much to learn from each other, uh, and we both have uh, much to gain uh, from, a, from a beneficial relationship. And so uh, uh, we uh, followed up on the president's uh, trip to uh, Mumbai uh, last November, uh, by having an exchange of correspondence uh, with our counterparts uh, in India uh, and a, uh, an initial uh, journey by uh, the Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security and delegation at the, at the deputy level, uh, followed up uh, last week by um, my trip uh, itself. Uh, and I began uh, in Mumbai. Uh, where I met with uh, security and law enforcement officials. Um, the idea was to begin to share ideas and thoughts about best practices, about effective policing in major uh, cities, or uh, some of the mega city policing is another phrase for that, uh, as well as uh, port security, maritime security, cargo security, uh, and border security. Uh, and of course, uh, Mumbai being uh, really the commercial uh, center of India, uh, and when you look at the port, you can understand why. Um, great place to have uh, that dialogue and to begin that dialogue. Um, but uh, it's also uh, an important place because 
Uh, it is there that India suffered the 1126 uh, attacks. Um, I actually uh, stayed in uh, the Taj Hotel, which was one of the hotels uh, that was attacked and held. And uh, actually one of the more interesting hours I spent uh, was with the head of security of that hotel who was present uh, during the time of the attacks and spent an hour and a half or so with me walking through the hotel uh, uh, where the terrorists came, you know, what entrances they used, where they positioned themselves, what kind of weapons they had, uh, what were some of the problems uh, that uh, security had in responding, what were some of the issues with uh, SWAT team, SWAT team capability, uh, command and control efforts, uh, all the kinds of things that go into nuts and bolts uh, of megacity policing, particularly when you're responding to a major incident such as that. Um, and while we were there, of course, uh, the trial began uh, in Chicago of Rana, uh, one of the uh, persons involved uh, with, uh, with the Mumbai attacks on trial in district court in Chicago now. And of course, one of the prosecution's key witnesses is a man named David Headley. Uh, and David Headley was testifying. And so that was front page news um, in detail uh, during my uh, visit in India. Uh, and a lot of interest as to what he was saying. Uh, and as you can uh, anticipate and appreciate, uh, interest as to what at least he was saying with respect to the terrorists uh, connections with uh, Pakistan and with the ISI. Uh, and I received some questions about that from the Indian press. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, moving from Mumbai, uh, we went to New Delhi, uh, where I was really hosted by uh, my counterpart, who is the Minister of Home Affairs, uh, Jadambaram, a very impressive uh, individual. Um, where we held the what we called the inaugural U.S.-India Homeland Security uh, Dialogue. Um, uh, part of the dialogue were we had the U.S. Ambassador to India, Tim Romer. I think it's one of his last official acts as ambassador. Uh, we had the Indian Secretary of Civil Aviation, uh, Zaidi. We had the Minister of Communications and Information Technology, Seibel. Uh, uh, we had the Minister of Finance, uh, Mukherjee. We had the Defense Minister, Antony. We had uh, the Ministry of External Affairs, and we had the Foreign Secretary, Rao, all involved in this inaugural Homeland Security Dialogue between our two countries. Um, it was the first comprehensive dialogue of its type between the United States and India, and I think it will be the first of many. Uh, what I uh, envision is that um, this will be an ongoing bilateral dialogue uh, that will meet uh, at least once and hopefully twice per year, uh, once in India, once in the United States, on a variety of issues. Uh, the issues uh, we focused upon were four. Uh, first, the resilience and security of the global supply chain. Uh, second, best practices and resources for effective policing in large cities. Third, countering trafficking of narcotics and other illicit goods, as well as illicit financing and counterfeiting. Um, and uh, the latter, a particularly important point um, when we look to how do uh, terrorists get money on which to exist? Uh, where are they getting their money from, and how do we stop them from getting more? 
And uh, fourth, protecting critical cyber infrastructure, or more precisely, protecting critical infrastructure that is dependent upon a cyber network uh, to, to exist. Um, uh, in connection with all of those, uh, we had discussions about capacity building. Uh, how do you uh, build, train, vet uh, the kinds of police forces that uh, large cities in the United States uh, have? Uh, how do you uh, make sure that you have adequate information sharing between uh, the federal government to state governments to localities and vice versa? That itself is a challenge for the United States. Uh, how do you make sure that uh, the technology and equipment that you are using is the best uh, possible? Um, and what are some of the best practices with respect to that? So uh, those ideas, I think, really framed uh, the discussions uh, that we had. And we came away uh, with a solid understanding of uh, where we can enhance these joint efforts uh, and continue to enhance a strategic partnership uh, essential for the security and prosperity of both countries. Um, now, uh, as I've said, um, uh, this trip was uh, part of a larger context, and that is the fact that DHS actually has quite a large international footprint now. Um, as secretary, I have uh, traveled to more than 20 foreign countries, and some of them multiple times. Uh, we have negotiated uh, numerous agreements, ranging from information sharing of criminal and terrorist data uh, to plans on science and technology cooperation uh, to the details of federal air marshal uh, programs. Uh, and uh, we even have agreements in place now on the repatriation of artifacts. Um, and I think this recognizes a truism, and the truism is uh, that we face in increasingly internationalized issues, that the problems we face in the homeland oftentimes have an international nexus that we need to not only recognize uh, but uh, deal with, uh, and that we have to adapt and enhance our cooperation with our global partners to match this new reality. Um, and so what you find across the globe now uh, are meetings where ministers of home affairs or homeland security or in the UK, the home secretary, are developing and, 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 and what is evolving is their own uh, framework, their own uh, set of discussions and organizations and institutions for uh, negotiating the agreements that they have for, the, for issues that affect home and homeland security. Uh, separate and apart from the traditional diplomatic uh, channels that we use through, say, state departments uh, or ministries of foreign affairs, and it's definitely separate and apart uh, from uh, the defense and the defense area. So this whole area of home and homeland security is, is now emerging as its own avenue through which we are having international exchange uh, with our partners. Uh, while I have been to, to uh, more than 20 countries, uh, we now have as a department a presence in 75 uh, countries. Um, we have actually the third largest international footprint of any United States uh, federal department. We're now the third largest and growing very rapidly. 
Uh, and over the past two and a half years at the Department of Homeland Security, uh, we have been uh, working to address threats that truly cross borders, aviation and cargo security, the supply chain, uh, nonproliferation, CBRN, cyber networks, uh, law enforcement, and the need for law enforcement to be able to exchange real-time information on a transnational way. Now, I will give you an example of uh, uh, how this has worked uh, in the past two years and uh, concretely. Um, many of you, I hope, uh, uh, or I venture to say, will remember the attempted bombing of uh, Flight 253 on Christmas Day of 2009. Uh, that flight, in fact, carried passengers from 17 different countries. Uh, the um, attempted bomber, uh, uh, was uh, from Ghana, purchased his ticket in Nigeria, uh, changed planes in Amsterdam, was over Canadian airspace when he attempted to, to blow it up. Uh, the incident itself revealed how, when we talk about aviation security, we are inherently international in nature. And what we recognize is, is that once an individual gets access to the global aviation system, he potentially has access to the entire system. Uh, that then hatched uh, a series of meetings that uh, we uh, catalyzed, but we worked through the International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO, which is associated, of course, with the United Nations, uh, to raise the level of uh, screening and security for airline passengers around the globe. Uh, and we held a series of uh, five meetings uh, internationally, uh, over the course of last year, culminating in the ICAO's General Assembly last October, where they passed um, uh, unanimously, uh, so recognize this is a UN organization that went from zero to an international agreement in less than nine months, um, very, very fast, particularly for a group of that size and complexity. Um, uh, on improving aviation security, security standards, and the likes. And now we're in the process of the implementation plan for implementing the kinds of capacity building that needs to accompany those new standards and requirements. Again, an example of how Homeland Security has really morphed into a much more global phenomenon than perhaps originally had been recognized. Uh, the Global Supply Chain Initiative that I described earlier uh, is much along uh, the same lines, except it's ever more complex. Uh, because as complicated as passenger security is, it's nothing compared to cargo. Uh, and moving cargo around the world and moving it safely. And do we need to do that? Well, uh, just harken back to last October uh, when there were bombs or uh, bombs hidden in toner cartridges uh, in cargo uh, coming out of Yemen uh, aimed once again for the United States. Uh, so we know that uh, this business of cargo security is serious business indeed. Um, and we want to identify and protect the most critical elements of the supply chain, transportation hubs and the like, from attack or disruption. That's why we made this one of the initial topics of the India-United States Homeland Security Dialogue. They have the same types of issues. Um, so 
we will work on multiple fronts with India moving forward, but that will be part and parcel with a number of other similar efforts that the department will be engaged in over the coming months and years, uh, really building a global uh, homeland security um, architecture uh, where one previously did not exist. Now, uh, I think uh, it's appropriate to, to recognize or to remember that we are now approaching the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, and I think we've made, as a country, tremendous progress in securing our nation from terrorism since then. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we still face uh, continuing threats. They continue to evolve. Uh, they continue to change uh, in terms of sources, in terms of techniques and tactics. So the upcoming anniversary will no doubt allow us to reflect on where we stand in the face of these threats, how we have responded, but also on what we need to do proactively moving forward. Uh, the killing of Osama bin Laden, no doubt, was a major achievement, uh, but it is not the end of threats against the United States. It remains a significant, uh, a significant marker, uh, but it certainly shouldn't be taken as uh, the fact that we have reached uh, the end tape. Uh, so uh, as threats evolve, in addition to al-Qaeda, core al-Qaeda, you now have al-Qaeda-related groups. You have LET of particular interest in India, and particular importance both to India and the United States. Um, we have to focus on that and, of course, uh, the addition of um, uh, homegrown extremists as well. Uh, we need to build on the experience we've had in the past and share that experience uh, with India. We've learned a lot about information sharing in the United States. How do we get intelligence uh, of a classified nature out of Washington, D.C., and ultimately, in a real-time basis, into the hands of a law enforcement officer who we want to watch out for certain things? Um, how do you get it out of the beltway to the country at large? That's why we made information sharing the second part of the Homeland Security Dialogue uh, with uh, India. Uh, and how do we improve the integration of data and analysis so all of these things that we get uh, become a picture, a narrative uh, that allows us to instruct people across the country on tactics and trends we want them to watch out for, uh, for the public at large, see something, say something, for law enforcement, it's suspicious activity reporting. For states, it's fusion centers. Uh, how do we do that in the United States? And then how do we exchange information with uh, our partners like India uh, so as they develop their own techniques, um, uh, they have the benefit of things we have done, mistakes we have made, but also things we have learned and that have been successful. Uh, so uh, homeland security, and international security now go hand in hand. Homeland security departments are now uh, engaged with, with each other, creating a totally new avenue for countries uh, to interact with each other. And India itself, such an important strategic partner uh, with the United States, uh, a country that we have um, uh, much to, uh, uh, to do with uh, from a commerce point, from an economic point, from a security point as well. Uh, and so, uh, as I said before, uh, the dialogue, I thought, was um, uh, very valuable. Uh, I think it is the first of many, 
and it is also illustrative of the continuing evolution uh, of the United States-owned Department of Homeland Security. Thanks for your kind attention. Let's do some questions. Well, uh, we heard what Secretary Napolitano said about getting to some questions. Let me just say a few introductory remarks, and then I will start the, uh, the questioning. Um, I'm Carl Indefirth, and I'm the newly appointed uh, U.S.-India Chair, the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies, hence our great interest in having this discussion here about the U.S.-India Homeland Security Dialogue. Um, I thank you for your remarks. I also thank you for being here. I got up this morning and I turned on the Weather Channel to find out if you had yet another natural disaster that you would have to be responding to. So I'm very glad that we could have your, your time here and just back. I, I have been part of this process going back to when I served in the Clinton administration of trying to build and strengthen the U.S.-India relationship. And this is a great addition, the first ever uh, U.S.-India Homeland Security Dialogue. I saw recently that we now have 31 formal dialogues or working groups with India. Uh, remarkable transformation, expansion of our agenda, but I do believe that this is going to be one of our most important. So thank you for what you're doing here. Um, let me start off with one question because you mentioned something that I'm sure some in this audience, if not all, would be interested in, and that is your discussions with the Indians about one group in particular, the Lashkari Toiba, the LET, mm -hmm. that had responsibility for that terrible attack in Mumbai. Uh, and your discussions with the Indians about this group, while you were in Delhi, you mentioned that you saw the LET actually as a Al-Qaeda-like, in that category, in that league. My question is, do you see the LET as a threat to our homeland security? And what can we do with the Indians to address this? Uh, the answer is that um, LET in, in is a uh, potent terrorist organization. Um, it uh, could be construed as a threat to the United States. It certainly is uh, to India. Um, it is al-Qaeda-like in its uh, strength and organization. It's something... Uh, because we have focused on al-Qaeda, because al-Qaeda was uh, responsible for the attacks of 9-11, uh, I think sometimes we, uh, uh, the public particularly doesn't know that there are other groups out there as well, uh, of which LET would be one. Um, and so uh, the, the discussion was in, in several parts. One is, what, what is the state of intelligence with respect to LET? Um, I'm not going to discuss that in public, but that was one of the uh, topics. The second is, what are the tactics and techniques uh, that uh, they uh, use? Uh, and, for example, uh, look at the Mumbai uh, attack. Uh, are are the, our countries prepared if they were to attempt something very similar? Um, do we have a small boat strategy? Can we protect our harbors from infiltration? Uh, what about soft targets like hotels? Uh, are they better prepared uh, than before to handle this? Uh, how, how do we handle our SWAT teams and law enforcement? Who has command and control um, if a similar attack uh, by an LET uh, were to occur now or in the future? So kind of moving from what's the state of it to the intel uh, to the tactics and techniques that they are likely to use. 
let me ask you, I'll call you and if you could identify yourself and your affiliation and let's see, we'll start, please. Okay. Hi, David Silverberg with Homeland Security Today magazine. Obviously discussing the Indian relationship, you have to touch on the Pakistani relationship. We do have a microphone here too, <coughs> we could probably use that. Uh, thank you. At least in Homeland Security, what is the state of the Pakistani relationship, if there is one? And B, how is the new dialogue with India affecting that? And how are you know, uh, bilateral issues between the United States and Pakistan in general affecting any kind of cooperation with Pakistan? Well, uh, one of the things that um, uh, is happening right now is that India and Pakistan have their own ongoing dialogue. Uh, and uh, they, it addresses a variety of issues from uh, territory to uh, some fairly um, straightforward water rights issues. And they have a number of topics that are engaged in that dialogue. Uh, and the United States is very supportive of that. The United States uh, believe that it is in, in everyone's interest for India and Pakistan to uh, be able to work together. Uh, and they also, and we also believe that there is an interest in regional stability, um, uh, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan. Uh, and, and, you know, that is to those countries' interests and also to the United States' interest. And so uh, where we really focused on was where there, where there were areas of consensus and a pathway forward uh, and the possibilities for strengthening that. I'll try to keep the mic in general location here. Hi. Um, I'm Samira Daniels. I've been involved with a lot of interfaith uh, since a kid, actually. And um, the question that I have is, uh, it's an intelligence one, because everyone that comes to this issue comes at it from a, from a different knowledge base. Some of it does overlap. And our experiences with Indians or and vice versa are, are you know, varied and different. And um, in, in the last uh, 25 years, about 18 years, I, I would say that the discussion is irrational sometimes, it, meaning that um, there, are, you know, there are a lot of emotions and hatreds and complaints on both sides as, as, as someone who's you know, listened to different, different actors. And I'm wondering what you, your agency, uh, it, it can, you know, how it distinguishes, you know, the sort of hyperbole and the uh, reality. I mean, I, I granted that, you know, these events have been uh, earth-shattering and so forth, but they ha their precedence is in this irrationality. And uh, I think that, you know, uh, it's important for, the, for your agency and others to uh, you know, c uh, prioritize and conceptualize it in a way that it helps to resolve this stuff, you know, th these issues between uh, India and Pakistan. And uh, so, th so I just wondered if, if you uh, had anything to say to that. Well, I, I look at it a little bit differently. Um, uh, and that is, I would call, I would say in the international arena, DHS is the agency of the pragmatic. Uh, uh, DHS uh, governs uh, who's traveling, uh, 
governs what can cross and how it crosses national borders. I mean, when you look at the jurisdictions, the statutory authorities of this department, the whole movement of people and goods around the globe is really focused on uh, the rules and statutes that emanate out of the Department of Homeland Security, primarily Customs and Border Protection and, and, and the TSA, um, and to some degree ICE and CIS as well. Um, and it is to everybody's advantage that uh, security and commerce coexist, uh, it, that we don't create a false dichotomy between the two, that we figure out how to do both, uh, and we figure out how to maximize our opportunities for both simultaneously. And so when I'm in discussions in India, what we're talking about is that very pragmatic level, how do we make life better for both countries by facilitating uh, movement, exchange, uh, uh, economic development in such a way, however, that our security interests are both protected. Could you talk for a moment about the, the role of the private sector? Because I think that I, I understand that you had uh, a meeting with the Indian private sector. There was a luncheon or a breakfast that you had with mm -hmm. the U.S.-India Business Council, the Chamber of Commerce. Clearly, the private sectors, our private sectors have a important role to play in working with government to address these issues on technology, on um, cyber security. How, how do you see the private sectors in both countries helping you to get this job done? Well, uh, yeah, and actually that is a key part, Ambassador, so I'm glad you, you mentioned that because we did meet with the private sector while, while I was there. Um, and I typically do that when I'm in an international environment is arrange uh, those kinds of sessions. Why? For several reasons. One is, as I just described, uh, what we do has a huge impact on their ability to conduct uh, the kind of business they need to be able to conduct. And we recognize fully uh, the need to be able to do security and commerce simultaneously. Uh, we need to know what their problems are, what challenges they're having, what things uh, we're doing that may not make sense to them, which we think make perfect sense to us. Um, sometimes we learn that we're actually um, wrong uh, and we change things. Um, so you know, that's one thing. But secondly, uh, we need to work particularly with the private sector in, in terms of meeting their uh, responsibility to secure their infrastructure. Uh, we don't own uh, critical infrastructure. We don't own 85% of the critical infrastructure in this country. It is in private hands. Uh, and if it's to remain, if it's to be in private hands, there's a, a certain responsibility that goes along with that. So what are ways uh, that they can secure their infrastructure? Uh, we focus on cyber, but there are uh, other things as well. And then to have those same discussions with our Indian counterparts, because they have some of the same issues with the private sector in that country as well. Let's, uh, if we could bring the mic over here. Um, this gentleman on the corner here, Aziz. Madam Secretary, to, yeah, yeah, can I'm you move over here so that there you can are. see I'm, where we are? I'm uh, hidden by the podium. Yeah. <laughs> Aziz Hanifa with India Abroad. Piggybacking on Ambassador Indefert's question on the LET, for years there was this perception that the U.S. had a double standard when it came to the war on terror, that it was more worried about Al-Qaeda than the LET, which was a strategic asset of Pakistan and the ISI in terms of launching attacks on India. After 2611, where Americans were killed, suddenly LET came into focus. Now that the Headley trial is going on and that clear nexus between the LET, uh, the ISI has been sort of established, what 
pressure are you imposing on Pakistan in dismantling the LET? Because you get a lot of LET leaders still walking around, addressing meetings, walking freely, and Pakistan still keeps saying that it's trying to dismantle the LET, but nothing of the sort has happened. Will the US have any qualms on India launching a naval seal type of attack on LET leaders who are clearly out in the public and operating freely? Well, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> you can go back. <laughs> but I understand. Yeah. Uh, 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 but uh, as I mentioned, you know, of course, there was great attention paid, being paid in India to to the. They called it the Rana. is actually the defendant. Headley was merely the witness. Uh, uh, one of uh, one of the, I guess, he, one of the initial witnesses. Um, but uh, uh, as I said before, um, the United States has. Uh, an interest in a strong relationship with India. We have an interest in a strong relationship with Pakistan. Uh, uh, both India and Pakistan have, share an interest in a, a stable Afghanistan. Uh, finding those pathways forward, finding those areas where there is uh, mutually beneficial consensus is what I believe we need to focus upon. I saw another hand over here in the Maybe we can just go a little bit further over. There we go. Another behind the podium question. Uh, <clears throat> Madam Secretary, my name is Manohar Thiagaraj. I have an advisory firm working in the Indian homeland security space. Uh, the question I have for you is, in the four areas you identified, uh, I wonder if you could comment on or if there is scope for uh, collaboration in the S&T areas that DHS is involved in, the really cutting edge areas, i.e. can both countries collaborate on co-developing technologies to address the common challenges that they face? Yes, um, and uh, uh, we have been, uh, we, we actually have been talking about that and what kind of, uh, how, how do we mutually leverage uh, some of the R&D efforts that uh, need to be undertaken. For example, um, airport uh, security equipment. You know, we, we clearly need to, uh, you know, keep developing uh, in that arena. Uh, what what can be done there, um, and and do it together. And you know, I I, I need to pause here and point out that uh, you know scientific uh, and technology uh, development is is longer term. You know, these research cycles are six, eight, ten, ten years, and uh, to go from uh, an idea to a prototype to being able to go to manufacture and scale uh, doesn't happen overnight, but. Uh, technology will be the answer to many of the most troubling security issues uh, that we have. Uh, one of the disappointments I, I have with what's going on in, in the, the House right now uh, is that they have the Homeland Security uh, budget up for consideration, and they have um, um, drastically reduced uh, the funding for uh, technology research. Uh, for security-related matters in our department. Um, th and that is, uh, th that in the end, I think, would be a very expensive decision to make. Sometimes you need to make these science and technological uh, investments now, knowing that the payoff may not be visible for a few years, but having confidence uh, that in the end that is a wise investment for us. Um, just a an editorial comment that I felt I had to add. Please, right here in the front. There it is. 
Madam Secretary, Mike Levine with Fox News. Uh, I have an off-topic question, but it goes to a lot of the points that you came across. Uh, There are reports out of Somalia that an American uh, launched a suicide attack, another American. Wondering what the latest is that you know about that, and how significant would it be if yet another American is now launching a suicide attack? Well, I think, uh, Mike, it is um, consistent with something we've been Uh, raising now for months, which is the growth of American persons or U.S. persons who themselves have become radicalized to violence. Uh, It can be homegrown extremists who become radicalized via the Internet uh, to al-Qaeda or al-Qaeda-style violence. It can be a U.S. person who has uh, left uh, the Somali-American community and gone uh, to Somalia to al-Shabaab uh, to, to train and, and to uh, exercise violence there. That is a, a fundamental change in uh, how we have seen uh, terrorism uh, or how we saw it at the beginning, uh, or what we consider the beginning, which was the attack uh, or the attacks of 9-11. And that, that has profound implications for how we deal with terrorism. Uh, because it puts a premium on being able to get uh, information about tactics and techniques out to the country. It puts a premium on local law enforcement who will, will be the immediate eyes on, uh, uh, on uh, an event that has occurred. It puts uh, a premium on uh, neighborhood policing and supporting neighborhood policing so that there is confidence in neighborhoods to, to uh, be able to share information where that is appropriate and needed. Um, and that kind of, that shift or that, that, that alteration um, has implications for how we do big city policing, information sharing. It's changing some of the things we do at the Department of Homeland Security with respect to our own internal uh, actions with respect to the United States. It's also part and parcel of that part of our dialogue that we had with India because they obviously suffer from the same risk. I just ask a quick, quick follow-up. What, what is the assessment now of the recruitment of uh, Americans, Somali-Americans to Somalia? Um, well, um, if, is the question if there is some, the answer is yes. If, uh, uh, and is that accelerating in terms of number? Um, I don't have a quick answer for you on that right now. My colleague Amir Latif here in front. Thank you, Madam Secretary, for your time this afternoon. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, the bureaucratic uh, dynamic here with the Homeland Security Dialogue. Um, We've currently got the Homeland Security Dialogue. The U.S. also has a counterterrorism joint working group with India. There's a number of other dialogues that have got counterterrorism and homeland defense equities. Um, And I was wondering if you could talk to uh, some of the potential challenges with trying to deconflict and coordinate with these other dialogues. And... How do you see your dialogue fitting in? Um, uh, I think what will uh, uh, happen, I don't see it as deconfliction uh, as much as uh, trying to cons- uh, consolidation. Uh, uh, the dialogue that we inaugurated last week was the dialogue that was specifically agreed upon between the two leaders of the two countries. Uh, uh, and uh, that's part of its importance and, and why it was conducted at such um, a high level. Um, there are other dialogues that, that deal with offshoots uh, of this. Um, 
no doubt, and they are and they are important. But I think what will happen over time uh, is that there will be some consolidation that, that occurs. Um, and uh, uh, one of the things that we will do is is work uh, with within the universe of what what also exists, as the ambassador mentioned, and say, okay, what now after ha having had this inaugural discussion makes sense to look to consolidate within for the next session. It is interesting that in 2000, I was part of the beginning of the counterterrorism working group. Uh, Ambassador Mike Sheehan was in charge of that. How far we have come from just the initial steps of trying to start talking to each other now to a ministerial cabinet level um, dialogue is another indication of how far this relationship has come in a relatively short period of time. Questions over here, please. In the very front. Uh, Madam Secretary, thank you. Raghavir Gaur, India Globe in Asia today. Um, as far as killing Osama bin Laden was concerned, it brought uh, joy to billions of people around the globe, including in India. Madam Secretary, when you were there in India, two issues were hot issues. One, India had warned Pakistan to hand over most wanted five terrorists which are hiding in Pakistan who were responsible for attacking India. If this issue came up because India needs U.S. help to uh, that you ask Pakistan to hand them over. And second was the major issue, corruption issue. My question on that is trillions of dollars are in Swiss accounts unaccounted and there is no accountability and most of the money is used by the terrorists. And finally, domestic issue, Madam Secretary, where is this immigration issue hiding, uh, I mean, heading, is this going somewhere in the Congress? <laughs> because millions of people are waiting from you, the answer that you are the hope for them so they can come out, out of the hidings. Well, I, I was, uh, when I was there, uh, the United States was not asked uh, directly to participate in uh, conversations with Pakistan about, uh, uh, about uh, that. Uh, with uh, respect to um, uh, immigration, um, I believe that, as someone who has worked in this area for a long time, uh, that uh, the country needs to have an honest uh, dialogue about immigration, that we need to recognize that it is a security issue and an economic issue, um, that it's not going away, uh, that, uh, sure, it's complicated, um, big issues are complicated, uh, but the, I, I think there is a, a growing consensus about what the major elements of immigration reform would entail. Uh, the president has stated his support for those elements. Um, he has met individually or spoken individually with a number of the members of the Congress, um, as have I, uh, and I will continue to do that because uh, even as we um, pursue our enforcement efforts and we are uh, doing a lot of new things uh, to, to uh, prioritize enforcement in the way I think makes the most sense. Uh, even as, as we do that, we recognize uh, that uh, immigration itself, uh, the underlying law, needs to be updated to meet the needs of uh, not only now but for, for the next 10 years. Well, that we did talk about uh, um, 
I was just going to check and see if you remember that you asked. <laughs> Yeah, that's we we talk specifically about, uh, and we put that in the category of illicit financing. Uh, how is money moving? Uh, how is it being banked? Um, how is it getting into the terrorist hands? Uh, what what kinds of investigations can we launch? Can we do anything jointly? Uh, 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 that I think will be a very fruitful area, not just between the United States and India, but indeed uh, we are working on that with a number of countries around the globe. Uh, how do we shut off the flow of money? Thank you. Toward the, yeah, in the middle here. Yes. Thank you for being with us today, Madam Secretary. Uh, quick question regarding uh, internal threats. Is there any U.S.-led initiative that's focusing on helping India enhance capacity towards, like, uh, combating the Naxalites? Uh, uh, well, the Naxalites, um, uh, uh, um, which that is the, the communist insurgency would be another way of putting it, I, I suppose, uh, in India. Uh, no, not, not, not by that name, but to the extent the things they do implicate police tactics, police techniques, you know, how do you equip a SWAT team? What do they need to have? Uh, what kinds of training needs to occur? How do you have vetted units? Um, where do you need to have them? Uh, what is the relationship between local police councils and Delhi? Um, those kinds of discussions we did have, yes. There was another question here. Thank you, Madam Secretary. My name is Joe Strom with the New York Daily News. Uh, the House voted today to overrule FEMA's decision to limit UASI funding to the 10 largest urban areas. Uh, can you, I can't hear you, can you say that again? I'm sorry, the House voted today to overrule FEMA's decision to limit UASI funding to the 10 largest cities. Experts say that it defies demonstrated risk. I just wanted to see, find out your thoughts on the House vote. Well, I don't know about the House, you know, uh, that's the first I've heard of that, but they're doing all kinds of stuff with our, our budget today. Um, <laughs> You know, Your mic is on, but um, <laughs> and and I and I said that with with reverence. Um, uh, thank you, Ambassador. Yes. Um, uh, listen, uh, the House cut money for UASI grants, which are the grants for urban area anti-terrorism activities. Those grants were specifically designed to combat terrorism. Uh, they they cut it for eleven. Uh, in, as, as part of uh, uh, that budget agreement uh, by either 20 or 25 percent. So I had a choice. I could either, you know, keep the same number of UASI jurisdictions or uh, really look at risk and consequence and reduce uh, the number of UASI jurisdictions. So I made the decision to take, uh, to hold the, the, there are 11 Tier 1 cities, New York, L.A., Chicago, you know, 11 Tier 1 cities and hold them constant so that they would not be cut at all. Uh, to take another 20 cities and distribute uh, the cut, cut to those 20 cities, so they took 30, 40 percent cuts, but they still got monies, and to not fund the remainder of jurisdictions, um, I think there were 64 total, uh, um, so to, to to basically go from 64 to 31, right, that we would fund. 
Um, I thought that, uh, and I believe that makes sense. Uh, that's a good way to invest uh, our monies. Now, uh, the cities that did not get funded uh, are not left bare. Uh, they have access to their state Homeland Security grant monies, but um, almost all of them, uh, in fact, I think all of them have unspent UASI monies from, private, from prior years. Uh, and uh, so if they want and need something and they believe it falls within uh, the UASI uh, guidelines, uh, they should access the money that they haven't spent already. Um, but I believe that uh, in tough fiscal times, you have to make tough decisions. And I wish I could have kept everybody happy, but I couldn't. And that's the choice I made. May I take you back to India just for a minute? I think we've got just about five more minutes. Um, on the question of cybersecurity, it, one thing that I've often thought is that our two countries, India and the United States, have such a great advantage in information technology. We have our Silicon Valley. They have their Silicon Valley. How can we take advantage of that great asset that we have to deal with the cyber threats that we face today? Will there be a working group on cybersecurity? Is that getting sort of a lot of attention in your discussions to find how we marry up uh, our very smart people and those in that sector? Um, uh, the answer is I think there will be a working group or something of, of that uh, type, uh, where, as you put it, Ambassador, we put the really smart people yeah. uh, together. Um, uh, there are lots of issues uh, from how code is written uh, and how you protect, uh, how you can make code less vulnerability to less vulnerable to attack, to how you can uh, uh, better detect and prevent attack, to how you can uh, have uh, more resilience should something be attacked. So you know you have you know the whole continuum of activities that needs to occur. So uh, they have cybersecurity experts. We have cybersecurity experts. Uh, I believe that as we move forward, that will be a very, again, another fruitful area for us. Absolutely. Another question in the very back. And then is this one? Uh, thanks again for taking our questions. Google, on the issue of cybersecurity, Google has reported that there was an attempt out of China to gain access to the private email accounts of some senior government officials. The Washington Post uh, this afternoon is reporting that that, that includes an, at an attempt to access uh, the private emails of a cabinet-level official. Does this jibe with your understanding? And what, uh, if anything, is the DHS doing to ascertain what information may have been uh, retrieved by the person conducting this attack? Yeah, I can't comment on that uh, just yet. Um, I think we're still trying to ascertain the facts and the attribution. Thank you. Are there any commentable questions that anybody would like to ask? And you know whether they are or not. Yeah, maybe we'll try. Did I see one here? Yes. Okay. All right. This will be the, the last question. We promised the secretary. Uh, in your answer to the ambassador's question about LET, you seem to be indicating that there is possible threat that LET is posing to the U.S. homeland. And we saw out of Headley's testimony at the trial that indeed the group was preparing to go ahead with the Denmark attacks. Uh, so has there been a shift in their tactics that you believe that they are beginning to undertake external operations outside of Pakistan and away from India, looking at different groups, uh, overseas targets to expand their reach? Uh, because in your answer to the ambassador's question, you were kind of indicating that, and I just wanted to 
explore that a little more? Well, I, I, um, uh, I don't want to talk uh, about the intelligence that we have about LAT, but I think it is available in open source uh, that there have been discussions uh, that they have had about uh, activity outside of India. Okay. Um, well, I want to thank uh, Secretary Napolitano uh, for being here. Um, the slogan for our new program here at CSIS is to unlock the full potential of the U.S.-Indian relationship. And quite frankly, you are doing just that by opening up this first ever dialogue on homeland security, and we wish you great success in that. Thank you very much for being here. And um, why don't we have one final round of applause for the Secretary. Thank you. 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 Thank